0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Anna Krusik Podcast. You are listening to episode number 57. Today on tap, I'm sharing five questions I asked myself before selecting a song to use in my lessons.
1: You're listening to the Anna Krusik Podcast with Ann Molesky the music teacher and curriculum designer behind Anacrusic.com. This podcast is all about making your music teacher life more purposeful, sequential, and joyful so you can take a breath and love each and every moment you spend making music with kids. So grab a cup of coffee and kick up your feet because it's time for another episode.
0: Okay, friends, welcome back to another Back to Basics episode here on the Anacrusic Podcast. We're in episode fifty-seven, and these last couple episodes, all the way up to the season close for episode number sixty, which will be the close of season three, we're going to talk about some things that I get asked about a lot inside of the Anacrusic community, and a lot of it has to do with lesson planning or some facet of lesson planning or something that contributes to lesson planning. So today on the podcast, I am answering. answering Answering a question, I get lots and lots of times when folks sign up for my Anacrusic newsletter or inside of the Tap Insiders community, which, if you're not a part of either of those things, there are links in the show notes, so definitely go check those out. However, one of the biggest questions I get is. How do you decide, once you find all of the songs, which we talked about in the last two episodes, how do you decide whether or not to use a song? Because there's so much good stuff, there's so many resources out there to teach this concept or that element of music making, so what do you even do to figure out what's the best to use? So today, I'm going to share my thoughts. Like I said, we're coming off of two episodes where I shared some of my favorite resources for lessons, both curriculum guides and song collections, as well as some other things you can use to enhance your lessons by way of manipulatives, storybooks, and other little something-somethings to give it pizzazz. But the question still remains, how do you choose what songs to put into your lessons? How do you sift through all the things and pick the very best? And how do you ensure that your choices align with your school community and teaching philosophy? Well, today I'm going to share the five criteria I use when selecting a song by way of questions and deciding whether or not it is the magic sauce for whatever I'm looking to cultivate in my music classroom. And if this episode is helpful to you and you want a little download cheat sheet of all of the information I'm sharing, you can go to the show notes, which are linked down below, or go to anacrusic.com podcast 57, because this is episode 57, and you can download it for free right there. But let's go ahead and dive on in. So the first question I ask myself when I'm looking at a piece of repertoire, whether it be a song, a rhyme, or an activity. So just assume that when I say song in this episode, I'm talking about just something you would use, like a resource in your classroom. But the very first question I ask myself is, does this song inspire me? And therefore, will it inspire my kids? Because if something doesn't speak to you on a musical level, it won't speak to your kids either on its own as a song or a resource or with you as the messenger. Now, there's a very specific reason that this is the first question, because oftentimes I think we find ourselves in a trap of looking at our big curriculum, like our big macro sequence and think, oh my gosh, I need more songs for this. I need more songs for that. And there is just some practicality in that. Like, if you have to teach a concept, you have to have a song to do it. But I would love, 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 love to get away from this whole idea of needing to have something that is a great song for blank and instead choosing repertoire for the reason that I just said like if it doesn't speak to you on a musical level it's not going to speak to your kids because you are the person who's going to be bringing the song bringing this activity bringing this piece of repertoire to your children and if it's just kind of a so-so deal like you're not super excited about it but you know you have to use it because you don't have any other song to teach the thing then they are not going to be excited to experience it with you because that comes through in your teaching. So there are so many songs and activities and things that we can use for different pedagogical purposes, so there's no reason really to look for a great ray song instead of just a great song period. So when you're looking at something that you want to be using in your classroom and you're looking to see if it's inspiring and will inspire your kids, think to yourself, is this something that can fit in well in my classroom? Does it fit into my students' current understanding and expectations of music? And remember, it's okay if it is a little outside of the box. If it doesn't fit into your students' current expectations of music, that's great because we're expanding their worldview and diversity in your repertoire selection is a wonderful thing. But again, be weary of choosing something just because you need like a quote unquote multicultural song or something similar. Instead, I encourage you to expose yourself to a wide variety of music and different ways of gathering resources and use that as the basis for differentiation with your students. So just to recap, the very first piece of criteria I use when thinking about whether or not I'm going to use a song in one of my lessons is does it inspire me? Moving on to the second question I like to ask myself is, how am I and my students going to make music with it in my classroom? If I use this song, what is it going to look like? What is it going to sound like? What is it going to feel like to make music with it? So first and foremost, make sure that you are aware to the best of your ability of the cultural and historical context of any song that you are planning to use in your classroom. Not only will it shed light to the ways that it is intended to exist, but but it can also inform some decisions you make about appropriate ways to make music and extend into different modes of music exploration. So if you're not familiar with different modes of music exploration or music making, all I mean there is movement and instruments and speech and singing and just all the different ways that kids can be actively participating in the music making. But being as informed as possible about where song material comes from can help us to ensure that it is appropriate and timely for our students today. So remember, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff out there. So if you're grabbing a song and you're thinking, oh, this is really, really great, but it's been used for the past 20 years, that might just mean that it's a great, 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 great piece of repertoire. And because of that, you should probably be using it in your classroom. Because if something has stood the test of time to that degree, it means it's a really, really rich piece of repertoire generally. However, consider finding things that are a bit more timely or a bit more applicable to students who are in your classroom today because there is no argument that students who are in our classrooms today are very different than students who are in our classroom 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so on and so forth. So just think about whether or not this is something that is culturally and historically appropriate for your students and timely for the students that are in your classroom when you're teaching the song. So really see it with what it was that inspired you about the way that this song lives and breathes in the first place. If you're thinking about ways that you want to be making music with it, you need to think about how it exists in its own right and what drew you to it in the first place. So was it a gorgeous melody that drew you to it? Was it a repetitive thriving rhythm? Or was it a vibrant instrumental accompaniment that got your energy up? I mean, whatever it is, that should clue you into number one, which mode of active music making is most natural to this piece of repertoire, but also what its purpose or intention might be in your classroom, which is foreshadowing the next question. So after you feel as though you have a solid understanding of the context and music making medium for this song, consider how you can go beyond that. So how can you extend it in your classroom? what other ways could you extend or expand the music making to allow for differentiation among your students but also stay true to their repertoire if the reason that you were drawn to this piece of music was because it's a gorgeous melody um maybe exploring some sustained movement vocabulary to accompany it would be appropriate Or if a rhythmic pattern is really persistent throughout the song and that's what drew you to it and maybe what you're going to focus on in terms of concepts, maybe it would lend itself to an ostinato on on unpitched percussion. But really think about how it lives and breathes in its context and allow your creativity to take shape and begin to think of expansive ways you can explore this piece of music. While staying true to its original context. So that was number two. Now question number two that I asked myself before putting a song into my lesson is how am I going to make music with it? And not only how am I going to make music with it for this particular lesson, but over time so that it's a piece of repertoire that lives and breathes in my classroom in a really, really meaningful way. So before moving on to question number three, I just want to have you really think about the nature of the first two questions I asked myself before I put a song into my lesson. And just to refresh your memory, even though we just talked about it, is does this inspire me and how is it going to make music in my classroom? Now, it may surprise you that these two questions come before what concept is this good for, but I have recently taken a lot of inspiration from my interview with Brent Galt, which I'll link in the show notes, um, where we talked about a whole lot of stuff, including the term quote unquote quality. And it was through this conversation and really taking to heart his thoughts and recommendations on selecting repertoire. Yes, including pop music. <laughs> go listen to the episode already, um, or go listen to it if you haven't already, because it's such a good one. Um, but it's really thinking about his ideas and his thoughts that he shared about selecting repertoire that I settled on my first two questions about inspiration and active music making. So, those are two essential pillars in my classroom. And so, it just felt like a more natural starting point than I need a song for a blank. So that being said, I really can't get away from the whole Anne and an Krusick purposeful, sequential, and joyful thing because everything in my classroom has to be intentional. But since there really is so much repertoire out there, so many resources out there, I mean, the last two episodes, I just shared a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit, just the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much out there. So the first two questions are my first layer of filter. So now let's go ahead and move on to the more predictable stuff that you're probably expecting from this episode and me and this podcast in general. So the third question I ask myself when I'm thinking about a song that I want to use inside of my classroom is, what is its purpose? (laughs) So everything in my classroom, like I said, has to have a rhyme or reason. And in most of my teaching positions, I've seen my kids either twice a week for 30-ish minutes or once a week for just under an hour, and added up, that's not a lot of instructional time, y'all know this, and it may seem somewhat strict or tedious, but 90% 5% or more of my repertoire has a distinctive music literacy and fluency component or objective in my classroom. So the other 5% is there for holidays or school assemblies or those other like inevitabilities that we encounter as music teachers. So the question that I often get because of this is, well, what do you do just for the joy of making music? And I mean, so do I have things in my classroom that are quote unquote just for fun? Well, not really, (laughs) but this is because of the first two questions we've already been over. If I'm including a piece of repertoire in my classroom, it's because it's inspiring to me. I'm fairly certain it will be to my kids as well, and I can envision meaningful music making in my classroom, engaging, and definitely, because of all that, 100% fun. So what do I look for if I'm thinking about purpose? I think, what is the essence of the piece? What is it that helped me decipher what kind of active music Music making to use in my classroom with it. Going back to question number two, is it a specific melodic or rhythmic element? Is it something with form or texture? And what are the defining characteristics of the song or activity? So after I find a primary purpose because of that, I generally have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to use a song for. But of course, it doesn't stop there. So in a big nod to my Kodai influence and just good musicianship in general. I think everybody does this, just not quote-unquote Kodai teachers, I fully analyze each and every piece I'm going to use in my classroom because it doesn't matter if it's a so-me-law melody. I still take the time to notate the meter and the form and the rhythms and the tone set because then I'll be able to figure out exactly where this song might work in my learning sequence framework. So that's moving on to question number four. And the fourth question I ask myself before putting us on into my lessons is, where does it actually fit in? Where does it fit into my sequence? And when it comes to sequencing, I obviously have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) I know, shocking. But to me, there are many, many, many different types of sequencing. And the big three are macro sequencing, micro sequencing, and the learning sequence framework. So macro sequencing refers to the big curricular sequence, like all the things from kindergarten to fifth grade or whenever your kids leave your classroom. Micro sequencing has to do with lesson plans and lesson segments within a plan, and the connecting force between these two is learning sequence framework. So that's probably what most of y'all call concept sequencing. I refer to it as my learning sequence framework because it's the way I've developed how I teach a concept from beginning to end. and um, Um, And although the learning sequence framework includes seven steps throughout three phases, and if you want to know more about all that stuff, I've linked um, a resource in the show notes for you to go check out all about the learning sequence framework. So go ahead and click that down below. But for the purposes of choosing repertoire, I'm not looking at all seven steps (laughs) in all three phases. I'm most concerned with the middle three in which I call the teaching phase. So in this particular phase, you have three steps, which are exploration, Discovery and extension, which can best be described perhaps as pre literate, literacy, and post literate. Those aren't the best terms, but for the purposes of today, we'll go with it. And this means that they all incorporate elements of fluency. Okay, so speaking and understanding as opposed to literacy, which is reading, writing, and identifying. Um, But this is all a completely different podcast episode. So the important thing to note about exploration, discovery, and extension is that exploration is done without formal notation. Discovery is quite literally the discovery of formal notation. And extension is exploration informed by formal notation. Okay, I'm going to say that again. So exploration is done without any formal notation. It's just speaking. Listening, understanding, that kind of thing. Discovery is quite literally the discovery of formal notation. So identifying, reading, and writing. And then extension is informed exploration. So it's when you're still doing lots of fluency work, but it's informed by this literacy component that we got in the discovery phase. So if you can think about those three different steps or phases or whatever word you want to use when it comes to teaching, that will aid you in deciding where a specific song would best fit within your concept sequencing. So most importantly, if you're planning to use a song for discovery or extension within a learning sequence, you have to ensure that your analysis shows that it is appropriate for that stage of your overall macro sequence. So that is, if you determine that the primary purpose is a rhythmic pattern, is that the only unknown pattern in the song? Would your students be able to derive everything except that new element and then also that new element after a literacy and discovery lesson. The same goes for melody, form, texture, and other elements as well. Another tricky piece of information is that some characteristics are tied to others. So what I mean by that is if I'm going to be using a melodic element as my primary focus, it's very difficult to extract melody apart from rhythmic content, so it's best if both both are known except for the new melodic element. (laughs) So all the rhythmic content is known and all the melodic content is known except for the new thing. And you know, this seems complicated, but this is exactly why the analysis is important. After taking all these things into account, I can decide not only where a piece of repertoire fits in my macro sequence, but where it fits inside learning sequence framework and therefore which specific lessons it would be the most appropriate for. So to summarize so far, the first question I ask myself before putting a on into my lesson is, does it inspire me and therefore my kids? Secondly, I ask, how am I going to make music with it and my children in my classroom? Third, what is its purpose? What musical concept am I going to use it for? And number four, where does it fit into my sequence? And then last but not least, is it the best choice? <laughs> Woo! So, this is a lot of stuff and it's a lot of work and maybe takes a little bit more thought than just thinking, oh, this is a really cool song. I should use that. And as I talked about in the very beginning, that's not a bad thing to think. Like, as a matter of fact, it's exactly what we want in choosing song material for our kids. So, thinking, oh, it's a cool song means it probably inspires you in some way, shape, or form. But it's definitely only the beginning of a much more complex conversation and process. So last but not least, I want you to think about the song that you have in relation to others that, number one, inspire music making, number two, explore the same primary and maybe even secondary concepts, and number three, are part of your overall classroom collection. So from there, thinking about wanting to have diverse and varied representation in our classrooms, is this particular song the best choice? Is there something that could work Or is there something that is more appropriate or representative of our own classroom climate and teaching philosophies? I mean, these are all essential questions to be asking yourself throughout your repertoire selection process throughout all these questions. And the answer is going to be different for everybody. What is a good song here is not going to be a good song there in that teaching situation, because teaching is time-bound, situational, and always changing. So last but not least, if you feel like you have a solid library of musical experiences and repertoire for your students... The work isn't done for the exact reason that I just mentioned, that whole time-bound, situational, and always-changing things. Give your living, breathing musicians the respect of having a living, breathing, musical repertoire selection for both you and for them. So keep finding new things, be hungry for new ways to be making music, and ask yourself constantly if you are giving the best of the best for children. Because as Zoltan Kodai said, only the best is good enough. But as I said, your best may look different than mine and that's okay. As a matter of fact, it should look different. So I hope that this podcast episode was helpful. I hope thinking about all of these questions and thinking about, being really intentional i know shocking with your song selections for each and every lesson is something that you are encouraged to either try or go a bit deeper on if you have any questions whatsoever please 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 reach out to me hop inside of the community and don't forget that you have a free download inside the show notes of this episode to help guide you with these five questions until next time guys
1: thanks for listening to the anacrusic podcast for more details and information from this episode, check out the show notes on anacrusic.com. While you're there, join the Tap Insiders community on Facebook, where you can collaborate with Anne and other music educators. Also, if you found this episode entertaining or informative, don't forget to share with your music besties and leave a review on iTunes. The Anacrusic Podcast is a proud member of the Music Teacher Development Podcast Network. The Muted Network provides support in the form of audio on-demand programming designed by and for music educators. You can find more information about our network at mutedpodcasts.com.